morning. Happy Father's Day to everyone again. Grateful to have you guys here. And if you are a guest, tune in online or in the house. We're thankful to have you here with us this morning. And what you'll find out if you are a guest is that we as a church love the Word of God. That's where we're going to be today in Psalm chapter 4. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and go ahead and make your way to Psalm chapter 4, that's where we're going to be continuing this series on God's playlist. And because we love God's Word, we want to be obedient to God's Word. And so as a church, one of the things that we desire to do is to weep with those who weep, but also rejoice with those who rejoice. And we know that Father's Day is one of those days that actually has both of those. Uh, for some of you, this is a day of weeping for you this year, as it's your first Father's Day without your dad, maybe. Or maybe you're trying to have uh, a child and you haven't been able to, to conceive to be able to celebrate Father's Day um, as some others. And just know that we as a staff have prayed for you. I prayed for you this week. Uh, we love you as you walk through that hard time. So we want to weep with those who weep. But on the other hand, we also want to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so for some of you, I know it's your very first Father's Day. And so happy Father's Day to you. We've had several new babies born here at our church. And so if it's your first Father's Day, special Father's Day celebration to you today. And uh, for those that have been fathers or even grandfathers now, I hope you celebrate today well. Uh, this is just a blessing. And if you are one of those people that didn't have a great dad, don't know what a good father looks like, let me just invite you and encourage you to, to look at the God of the Bible who says he's the father to the fatherless. And even when mom and dad forsake me, God will take care of me. And our God is a good father. So take encouragement with that today. All right, Psalm chapter 4 is where we're going to be diving in to today. We've been going through this God's playlist, looking at each one of the Psalms and Psalm chapter Chapter 3 that we looked at last week was the psalm of the morning. So as King David woke up, that's the psalm that he played, right? He put the song on and hit the repeat track and listened to that in the morning. And what we'll find here in chapter 4 is it's the song that he would listen to as he went to bed at night and even pray some of these very things. And I'm thankful for that because God's Word is so practical to our lives. It cares about when we wake up in the morning and when we go to bed at night. And what we're going to see in this passage is something that is extremely practical to us. This whole idea of where we find rest and where we can find true, lasting sleep. We're going to find that in Psalm 4 today. And this is a, it's a major issue specifically for America. Uh, we have over, over 70 million people in America who struggle with some kind of sleeping disorder. We struggle to go to bed at night. We struggle to rest. The CDC even labeled it a, an epidemic for America. We just, we struggle. We don't know where to find true rest, and we don't know how to find great sleep. And so what we do is our, our culture is responding to that, and so we're spending all this money trying to buy all these products that help us to sleep and help us to rest. And so this last week as I was diving into this, I was blown away. I don't know if you realize this, but the first survey that I found in 2015, we as a nation spent more than $40 billion in sleep products. 40 billion, not million, billion dollars as a nation on this. And they estimated in 2020 that we spent roughly as a nation about $52 billion to help us sleep. And I hear those stats and everything, I'm thinking, what are we spending billions of dollars on? Like, what, how is this adding up? And if you're looking for a job right now, the mattress industry is a great industry to be in. The mattress industry made $13 billion last year selling mattresses. I mean, we're, trying, we're struggling to sleep, we're, we're, we're staying awake so long, we're just trying to find some way to find rest, and so we'll shell out our money for, for high mattresses, right? 
15 or 13 billion dollars. It's, it's crazy. And even the tech side of things, tech is, is starting to like see the money that's found in this and trying to find ways to help us sleep. And so you see in this picture, like they even have these, they look like clocks, but on the side that will actually read adult bedtime stories to you, like stories that adults would enjoy listening to that would help them fall asleep at night. And so you've got those you can buy, and, and you see the phone there, you can get phone apps. There's so many of them that you take your phone and you either put it under your mattress or you set it on top of your mattress and it tracks how you roll over, how you breathe, and it even will like shake and, and alarm and wake you up when you're coming out of your REM sleep. Like it's amazing how much time and energy and effort that's being poured into all these different things. And even the workplaces is seeing the struggle of our lack of sleep. We're having more errors and more issues and, and, and we're missing doing our job well because we're not resting well. And so one company, uh, literally this is uh, HubSpot. HubSpot has a nap room, this is a true picture, a nap room that they have at their workplace. They have hammocks, and you can lay in the hammock and, and paint it on the ceiling or clouds, and then this beautiful music that helps you take naps in the middle of the day. Like they're trying to do anything they can to help us rest so that we can work better. We are longing for rest. We are desperately longing for sleep, and it impacts every single age group. The studies that they've done from millennials to Gen Z to Gen X to boomers, every one of us are struggling to find rest. And they found that actually those in their 40s and 50s are the ones that struggle to sleep the most. It's hitting us all. And what we're finding is, as a nation, a good night's rest seems more like a dream than a reality. So where do we find rest? How do we get rest? Not just the sleep part, but how do we find rest for our lives? And that's what Psalm 4, the track 4 of God's playlist is going to show us. So let's look, starting in verse 1 of the Word of God, and this is what it says. It says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? And how long will you love your vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. But you, but you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Lord, this morning we pray and ask that you would give us understanding to this passage. We need to hear what this passage has to say. Lord, as a nation, as individuals, struggling to sleep and struggling to rest, Lord, we just confess we run from exhaustion to exhaustion because we don't know how to sleep and we don't know how to rest. So, Lord, we ask today that you would help us to believe the truths of your word. And then give us the confidence to trust in you to give us rest. 
Jesus, thank you for the invitation you give us for all who are weary to come to you and find rest. I'm going to just invite you now just to take a moment in this silence and just pray that God would help you understand rest better through his word today. Pray now. Pray for me that as we look at this very practical, um, very useful truth from God's word, that I would be able to explain it clearly this morning. Pray for me now. Lord, I pray that today you would sustain with your word the person who is weary. It's in your name. Right, in this passage, I think there's three things, there could be more, but at least three things that God's word wants us to see on how we can rest well, how we can truly find rest that leads us into a good night's sleep. And the first thing we have to understand is that we need to rest in the relief of the Lord. Rest in the relief of the Lord. If you look back at verse 1, he's talking about praying to God and calling out to God, and then he gives this just encouraging statement. He says, Lord, you have given me relief when I was in distress. I was in distress. Now that word for distress means pressure. And he's in this like pressure cooker moment. And we can take a guess at what's going on in David's life. We don't know for sure. We talked about last week in Psalm 3 that David had lost his throne. He lost his kingship by his son. His son Absalom came in and kicked him off of his throne. And so David was literally running for fear of his life. I mean, that, that's pressure, right? Like that's anxiety in his life. That's calamity that's going on. But we also find in verse 2 that with all that calamity going on, that people enjoy gossiping about David and slandering him behind his back, and they love the lie rather than the truth. If you look at verse 2, that's what's happening. David is saying, how long, people, are you going to listen to all these lies and let my honor be turned to shame? How long are you going to believe these vain words and seek after lies? I mean, people at this time were probably saying things like, hmm. See, I knew David wasn't that great of a king. I'm actually glad he's not our king. Like, if, if God really loved and cared for him, then none of this bad stuff would have happened to David. And they're longing after this gossip. It's tasty to their hearts and their souls. And so they're seeking after the lies. They would rather believe in the headlines of kingdom divided than the truth that God is ruling and reigning. And that's what David says in verse 3. This is the truth that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. God has established that. So you got the social pressure that's going on. you got this family pressure that's going on in David's life. He's lost his job. You've got financial pressure. All these things are going on in David's life. And yet, somehow he's able to rest. Somehow he's able to, to sleep. And, and these events that David's, are, David's going through, these are not a one and done. It's not like, oh, you had a bad day. It's okay. We all have bad days. And you can sleep well with that. But he says in verse 2, how long? He says it twice. How, how long is this going to keep happening? How long am I going to have to suffer through these things? This is something that's going on and on, and these pressures are continuing to push and push and push. And David is sitting there, not broken by the calamities and the pressure and the distress of his life. See, he's not 
sunk underneath the sorrow. Instead, he's bringing his broken heart and his broken life to the Lord. As he's going to sleep at night, he's crying out to God. These first three verses, he, he says it three times. Did you see that? As he lays on his bed at night, verse 1, it says, I call out to the God of my righteousness. And then at the end of verse 1, he says, hear my prayer. And then in verse 3, he ends it with a, a confidence, and he says, I know the Lord hears when I call to him. So he's not sunk by the sorrow. He's looking to the Lord. Yes, there's plenty of things in his world and his life that can consume his mind and his heart as he goes to sleep. Plenty. Choose a category. He can sit there and dwell on it and let it breed anxiety and worry in his heart. But what David does in this moment is he's, 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 he's thinking through those things. He's like, I can focus on the brokenness of the world. I can focus on the goodness of my Savior. And so he cries out to God, help me in these things. Answer me when I call to you. Psalm 4 is showing us that, that our relief is truly found in the Lord. Our relief is found in Him because He is the one that makes all things right. He's the one that makes all things right. Our hope has to be in Him. And He even starts in verse 1, He says, My hope is in you because of your righteousness, O God. I rest in your righteousness. What does that even mean? We hear righteousness and that's kind of a churchy word. But what he's talking about here is that God does all things right. When it talks about the righteousness, he will look at everything that's broken in our world and in our bodies, and he will fix them. He will make things right. He will vindicate everything. This is what the righteousness of the Lord is. So David, as he looks around, he sees all this brokenness, says, my trust is in you, God. I'm going to rest in the fact that you are righteous, that you will do all things well. God knows far more than you and I do. So he realizes that. He's like, I'm going to rest in you. You're absolutely right in all of your actions. You're absolutely righteous because you keep your covenant to your people. You uphold your law, God. You fulfill every one of your promises. You are a righteous God. And my trust is in your righteousness, not in my righteousness. You see, some of us, the reason why we can't sleep at night is because of this truth. We know that God is righteous and that we are not. We know it. And we struggle with that. So when we go to bed at night, what we do is we lay down in shame and in guilt, thinking about how we worked so hard during that day to do good and to be good, but yet we still feel a sense of guilt and shame in our heart. And David even says in this passage in verse 4, on your bed at night, ponder in your own hearts, be silent. Some of you think about your day and you're angry. You're angry at yourself or you're angry at the brokenness of the world. And so you don't find rest. When your mind needs to go back to the Lord and he is right and he will fix these things and find rest in his power and his might and his strength. That's where our rest comes from. And so yes, ponder on your hearts and your bed, but don't sin there. Look to the Lord and find hope and find rest and find peace. This is God's invitation to us. And I think it's interesting because in verse 5 it says, while you're laying there and you're thinking about all this, don't sin, but rather make right sacrifices. What in the world does that mean? I mean, sacrifices at that time is where you would bring an animal to the temple. And remember that 
in order to forgive your sin and your shame, somebody had to die in your place. You can't do that when you're laying in bed trying to go to sleep at night, right? Like, I can't get up and bring an animal to the temple. So what is he saying when he says, offer right sacrifices? I believe it's sacrifices of hope and trust in the Lord's righteousness and not in ours. Now, we could cry out, like, verse 1, Oh, God of my righteousness, the one that creates and makes us righteous because of his righteousness. Our rest is not in our striving to be good. Our rest is in him. Jesus comes on the scene, and this is the invitation that he gives us. The word of God in the New Testament says, For he, God, made him Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, we think... We look at our lives and we get angry and we tremble at the righteousness of God because of our guilt and our sin. And we can't work hard enough and we can't exhaust ourselves enough to be righteous before our God and to feel good in our own hearts. And that can leave us to be a sleepless, restless people. And then we look to Christ and we remember this truth. That Jesus became sin on our behalf that we could enjoy his righteousness. It allows us to go to bed at night and rest. The work is finished. It's done. You see, you're saved by works. It's just not your works. It's his works. It's the work of Christ. And when we realize that, it gives us rest and peace as we lay our head on that pillow at night. It allows us to to relax knowing that our righteousness is not held up in all of our works. And whether the scale is balanced if I did enough good today and I didn't do enough, so I feel terrible. We look at Christ and know that he is the righteous God who is just and stood in our place and has now clothed us in righteousness if we would believe and trust in him. So we rest in his righteousness. That's where we find relief. But David also finds relief in remembrance. You see, remembrance of God's faithfulness in the past brings relief in the present. Brings relief in the present. In verse 1, Look at the wordage that he uses as he talks about relief from his distress. It's past tense. He says, you, God, have have given me relief when I was in distress. You see what he's doing in this moment? He's looking at his life and he's like, God, you have been faithful the last six times. I know you'll be faithful in the seventh time. He remembers back and he's like, God, I know when I went to sleep last night, I was concerned, but now I woke up this morning and you sustained me. So I will trust that you will sustain me another day. He's remembering how God is providing for him in his past and it's giving him rest in the present. Some of us, that's what you need to do. When you lay in your bed at night, instead of thinking of all the anxieties around you, remember the faithfulness of God over the last year or two years or five years of your life and thank him for those things. Because our God is not a half-hearted God. He's not. He's not going to start doing something and be like, eh, I quit, I'm done. God fulfills what he says. So as he promises us in his word, he won't ever leave us or forsake us. We lay in bed at night and we're like, man, it sure feels like you've forsaken me, but I know the truth that you have not. You've never done it and you never will. We can trust in that and know that. And the reason we know that is because Christ was forsaken so that we would never have to be. He hung on a cross and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he felt like he was forsaken by the Father in that moment so that you and I would never have to be forsaken by God. 
to find relief and remembrance of God's faithfulness in the past. Rest in those things. But also let's rest in the joy of the Lord. Rest in the joy of the Lord. Now for us, when we read the Bible, sometimes we can miss this because there are some good churchy words in there in verse 6. But what he's doing in verse 6 is actually calling out a sin that's in the culture at that time and honestly that's in a culture in our time. He says in verse 6, there are many who say, who's going to show us some good? Let, let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. What this is actually showing us is that people are seeking the Lord, not for the Lord, but for what he can give them. And what David does is he actually shows the opposite in verse 7. And we'll explain verse 7 more in a minute, but he's like, God, even if I don't have all these things, you've given me more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. Everything they've hoped for and everything they're asking God for, when they get all that stuff, I'll still have more joy because I have you. I have you. See, what's happening in verse 6 is the people at that time are saying, hey, who's going to show us some good? Who's going to give us what we want? How can we ha build a God or find a God that we can manipulate to give us what we want in our hearts and in our lives? And so at that time, they would look around and they'd say, well, the Canaanite gods over there, like they're promising economical wealth with their gods, their agricultural wealth. Let's, let's go worship those gods because they're going to give us the pleasures that we desire. So we'll go worship those gods for a little bit. Ah, they're not scratching the itch. They're not giving us what we want. Oh, we'll go over here to this God and we'll worship that God for a little while and then manipulate him to give us what we want. As long as we get what we want, then we're good. So what we really want is a God that's kind of just a, a Santa Claus God that gives us whatever we want when we want it. Maybe a bouncer that protects all the things that we've built in our own little kingdom. But like we don't want him to be our Lord. We don't want to find our joy in him. And this, even personally, we know is wrong. I mean, just think about this for a second, to use God like that. You say, God, just give me everything I want. Bless my job, bless my family. Just give me all these things, but you will never be the Lord of my life, and I don't want you to, to, to rule everything. I don't want to obey your word. Just give me all the blessings. Let your face shine upon me. We know in our heart of hearts this is wrong. I mean, have you ever had anybody treat you like that? I mean, have you ever had that friend that you know whenever they call you on the phone, you see their name, you're like, Psh. They want something again. Like I've called them seven times, they never returned my phone call, but now they need something, and so you pick it up, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll get that to you. They need something, right? I mean, ladies, do you know guys that, that use women for their, their bodies, but they don't love them nor care for them? I mean, using them for their own pleasure, but not caring for them. I mean, do you know people you work with that are friends with somebody until they can move up the ladder far enough, and when they move up the ladder, they're like, yeah, I don't care about them anymore. I've forgotten about them. And then you're no longer friends with them anymore, right? They're using someone to get something that they want, but they don't really love them. We hate that, right? Like our hearts understand that that's wrong. So why would it be any different with God? Like why would God be okay with that? And that we would use him as basically a, a key to the treasure chest of joy instead of realizing that he is the chest of joy. See, that's what David is doing in this moment. 
He's saying, I've got God, and that's more than enough. Because God is the joy of my life and the life of all of my joys. All of my joys. It's found in him. So he's saying, they can have all of their grain and their wine, and, and it'll give them joy temporarily. But the joy that I have is far greater than the joy that they have in all their stuff. My God makes these joys matter. And so we can plunge our lives into fleeting pleasures and seeking all those out. But it will lead us to an unsatisfied and thirsty life apart from the fullness of knowing Jesus Christ. It just will. It will lead us to a shriveled soul instead of having true joy. C.S. Lewis, um, many of you know him, he wrote the books of Narnia, and that's kind of how we picture him and remember him, but C.S. Lewis was an atheist for years. And it was interesting because he started to have his heart stirred by the Lord, he started to think about, okay, there, maybe there's a God out there, and, and so he's an agnostic, but which, which God is the true God? And, and he started to research and to, to study and to learn, and he started to look at Christianity, and it was fascinating because he's like, I'm reading Christianity, I'm seeing the truths of the Bible, and it's incredibly different than any other world religion. But he said, I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe it. Because he said, I thought if I believed in this Jesus and I followed him, I would lose all the joys in my life. I'd lose them all. And so he was terrified to come to Christ. And his words and his autobiography, he said, I came kicking, struggling, resentful. My eyes were darting, looking for a way to escape from Jesus. But once I came to Christ, I was surprised by joy. And that's what he named his book, his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. He said, I thought I was coming to Christ and I was going to lose all my joys. And what I actually found is more rest and more joy than I ever imagined I would find in this world. That's what he found. And the invitation is the same for you and for me. We can be surprised by joy as well. Some of you, that's the reason why you haven't come to Christ. Because you think you've got more joy in this life than you can have with Christ. And you're missing out on the beauty that you will have as you come to him. Find joy in this life, but also rest as you sleep at night. I mean, there's a sweet rest that comes when you've enjoyed your day. So let's rejoice in the Lord. And it has to be in him because he's the only thing that will never leave us or abandon us. Everything else that we would put our joys in will evaporate in an instant. We can put our joy in our health. It can be gone in an instant. We can put our joy in our job. It can be gone in an instant. We can put our joy in our bank account and the stock market crashes and we lose our joy in an instant. But when our joy is placed in something eternal and unshakable, the Lord, our joy becomes eternal. We can go to bed at night and rest in the joy of Jesus Christ. And that kind of rest lets you sleep really well. Really well. That's the last thing I want us to see. Let's rest in the peace of the Lord. And in that rest, you will find sleep. You see, if you look at verse 8 again, it says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. Now for us, if we were to try to take that sentence out and describe our life, like write it, it would be something like, In struggle and tossing and turning, I both lie down and maybe fall asleep. Like that's how we would describe our life. Now remember the setting of David and everything going on in his life. All the struggles of family and losing his job and losing his finances. And yet he says, in peace, I 
it's a lie down at night. It's a lie down at night. And sleep. And there's a difference between the two of those. David is not saying, I find peace when I finally get to go to sleep. No, he says, when I lay down and I put my head on that pillow, even then I find peace. And then when I go to sleep, even in my dreams, I have a sense of peace in the Lord. Both when he lies down in his bed and when he finally falls asleep, peace is there waiting for him. Peace is there waiting for him. My children right now, that's one of the things they're doing, they're struggling to fall asleep at night. And so they'll ask me, hey, Dad, will you stay in the room until I, I go to sleep? And there's a number of reasons why they struggle to sleep. I mean, we tried to watch Shrek the other night, and that terrified them because Shrek's a pretty scary-looking guy. And so my son's like, will you just stay in here until, until I go to sleep? And I'm like, sure, son. Why? Why does he ask me that? Because there's something of serenity of having your father there watching over you and protecting you. My kids ask me to stay in the room until they go to sleep. But God takes it to the whole next level. He says, I'll stay here and give you peace until you sleep. But then when you finally go to sleep, I'm going to remain right here. I'm going to stay right here with you. I'm going to sustain you while you sleep. And then when you wake up again in the morning, I'll be there with mercies to meet you. That's what our God does. This is where our rest comes from. This is why we can sleep in peace. And what I love about this, what I love about this is how God cares about every area of our lives. Do you see that? So often we think, well, God, you care about like when we go on mission trips, like God really cares about that. Or when I go to church on Sunday mornings, God, you really care about that. Or maybe, God, if I get a promotion at my job, like maybe you care about that. Or I, I'm getting married. God, you must care about that. All these big, glorious moments in our lives, we're like, God, you most certainly care about all those. We'll pray about all of those. But God in this passage is telling us, you know what? He cares about the moments in life that nobody else cares about. When nobody's around and you're trying to go to sleep at night, God cares about that. He does. He's like, even when you're sleeping at night, I'll care for you. I'll care for you. Do you see the beauty in that? Do you see the rest that you can find in that, knowing that God cares for you and nobody else cares for these areas of your life? God cares about the big and the small of your life. Now the question has to come up in our heart then, okay, God, if you care about all these things and you're extending us rest and relief and, and rest in your joy and rest in your peace, then why do we not find it? Why do we not find it? And it's because we look for this rest in every other area of our lives before we look to the Lord. We do. But look at what verse 8 says. Look, underline this, circle this, bold this, mark this. It says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Our minds and our hearts tell us we have to have all these other things in order for us to dwell in safety. And God says, no, you can have serenity and security if you look to me and me alone. I mean, for some of us, we're like, I've got a German shepherd in my backyard. Like, that's my, my, my serenity. I can sleep at night, right? i got a great security system. i got locks on every one of the doors of my house. I've got a good and secure job. So I, I can rest in peace now. And God's worth saying, those things are, are fleeting and temporal. 
you want true rest and peace, it's going to be in the Lord and the Lord alone. And we have to trust in him to give us this peace. Think about this. People in the scriptures that looked and trust in in the Lord could sleep anywhere. Anywhere. You think about this. David trusted in the Lord. And so he was able to sleep in a lion's den. Sleep. In the New Testament, Peter was arrested and thrown in prison, and he doesn't know if he's going to get out of prison or if he's going to be executed the next day. And he sleeps that night, it says. How in the world? Jesus, trusting in his heavenly Father to protect him and watch over him, sleeps on a boat in the middle of a storm. All these areas, they're trusting in God. He's trusting in the Lord, and they find rest and peace. And the invitation that is extended to you and I, too. I mean, how many of us, how many of us can look at our sleepless nights and trace them back to a lack of trust in the Lord? Probably every one of our nights. Every one of our nights, the reason why we stay awake and we can't sleep is because we are not trusting in the Lord. We've got to trust in Him. There is no better rest than when we trust in the Lord. There's no better sleep we're going to have than when we trust in the Lord and allow that trust to rock us to sleep at night. There's no pillow or bed as comfortable as the promises of God. There's no blanket warm enough to compare to the assurance of Christ's love for you and for me. So we rest in those things. We rest in those things. Some of you may or may not know who this person is, but Brian Welch was the lead guitarist for a band named Korn. And I know Korn is dating me a little bit. That was back in the early 2000s. Some of you might not even know that band anymore. But it was an aggressive heavy metal rock band, and I didn't say I liked them. I'm just saying they were a popular band at that time, okay? And Brian was their lead guitarist that he would play. And so they made a lot of money. And he had a lot of success and fame in his life. And as he made money... And he moved out of the music industry. What he decided to do was get into real estate. And he partnered with two guys, Eric and Doug. And he said these guys were nice guys. They were very positive. But he said they were kind of goody churchgoers. That's what his book says. They were goody churchgoers. But because they were positive, I was was willing to, you know, do business and do life with them. And as they they succeeded in, in this business area, he said, man, I had everything the world had to offer to me. And yet I was still broken. And it's interesting, in this book he writes, he said, I was filled with anger and depression. I was addicted to pornography. At one point, he even said that I was on eight different brands of meth. He said, my life had hit rock bottom. And he said, I was exhausted. I had no rest in my life. He's like, I knew I needed to reach out for help somewhere. And the only people I knew were these guys, Doug and Eric. And so he's like, as I sent them emails about uh, real estate, every so often I would just kind of drop in little things here and there of like my struggle in my life, my struggle for rest. And he said, I just little, little bits here and there. And he said one day, Eric emailed him out of the blue. And this is interesting because this is what um, the email said. He said, Brian, I was reading my Bible this morning. And I don't want to get weird on you or anything, but... As I was reading, this verse came to mind as I read it. Uh, Or you came to mind as I read this verse. 
It's Matthew eleven twenty eight that you'll see on the screen. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are laboring, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Eric said in his email, I don't know why I thought about you with this verse. I hope it means something to you, so I, so I sent it to you. <laughs> Please don't take this the wrong way. All the best, Eric. And Brian said, as I read Eric's email, I knew that I was a weary, lost soul. I knew it. And so he said, I emailed Eric back, and he said, where do I go from here? What advice would you give me for someone who is weary and exhausted and lost? And Eric said, people in far worse circumstances than you have turned their lives around and found the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Eric said, I'd love to talk to you about what it means to love and to follow Jesus. And Brian Welch placed his faith in Jesus Christ that day and found rest. Found rest. And so if you're here today and you're weary, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, then come to Jesus. And you're like, I've already come to Jesus, but I still feel weary and heavy laden. Then you truly haven't understood the greatness of Jesus' offering. Because he's offering you and I rest, both in the present and the eternal. So come to Jesus today and find rest in him. Bow your heads with me. If you are here today or if you are online and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you would fall into the category of Brian and that you are weary and exhausted, not just physically, but spiritually, then come to Jesus today. Receive the invitation of Christ to come to him and to find rest and peace for your soul. If you're wondering how to do that, just pray, just like David did. God, hear my prayers. Remember your sins and confess those before the Lord, that you've trusted in these other things for rest and they have failed you. And come to him. And know without a shadow of a doubt, as you admit your sins, you believe in Jesus and you confess that he is the Lord of your life, he will save you. He will do it. He's already invited to you. You don't have to worry if you're welcome. He said, come, come to me. So come to him now. And for others of you, you've been walking with Jesus, but you've been trusting in all these other areas to give you that peace and security, that joy, that relief, and they have failed you and left you empty over and over and over again. Would you repent of those things today? Confess those to the Lord and allow him to give you refreshment in that forgiveness. Confess those sins. Cry out to him for salvation right now. If you're still struggling with these things, I'll be here after service. I'd love to talk with you, to pray with you. We 